Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Daniel Keyes, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. So we met once, I don't know how many years ago. It has to have been like a decade. How old are you now? Oh, that, so you are going to start Yeah, hard-hitting, man, hard-hitting. Yeah, no, I'm 37. <laughs> yeah, um, I think we, you were like 29. Was, you were 29. I remember you telling me you were 29 or something, so it would have been eight years ago. Well, that's what I tell everybody even now. That's not, that, <laughs> who knows, that doesn't. So it was last year. How old I was, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it was, I don't think it was a decade ago, was it? I don't know. That's what I thought you said. I could be wrong. Yeah, you came down to Utah and then we went to the Springville Museum. Yeah. And I just remember you were yeah. really, you were quite young. I feel like you were in your 20s, but I could be wrong. But it was a, it was a good visit nonetheless. But it's great to see you again. It's in, I'm grateful you're doing the podcast. I'm excited to. Sure, Pick your brain. Sure. So tell me, uh, where where did that name come from? I'm curious. What's what's the uh, the undraped artist? Undraped artist. Yeah, yeah. How did I come up with that name? Well, obviously, it's a play on words. You know, undraped model. And uh, uh, my goal is to is to reach deep into your soul and get out all your deepest, darkest secrets. You know, get you naked uh, on the podcast. You know, metaphorically speaking. Out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my goal so hopefully hopefully it'll happen so for starters i know a little bit about your history um i think although i did think you were from santa fe turns out from california so i guess i'm off there but so why don't you tell me a little bit about where you came from how you got into art your your background well um i I, that's the those are the things i feel like god aren't people tired of hearing that that no, story? just keep Although it short they, and then we'll get to they, the good stuff <laughs> well i was going to say they clearly aren't because um nobody ever gets the information right so <laughs> it's like with the mag with the magazine articles all of them i mean um uh, however many of them are out there everybody uh clearly just looks at the pictures you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um because everybody thinks they're like, oh, you, so you live in, in Vermont. How long have you lived there? I've never lived there, you know, or Montana or wherever. So I was born and raised in Fresno, California. I still live in Fresno, California. Um, that's the only place I've ever, uh, the only county I've ever lived in. And um, I don't know, I, I started um, drawing just like any other little kid, pretty young uh, in church. And um eventually dabbled with paints uh, the uh, the story goes i was 11 when i got my first paint set mm -hmm. and um and that's kind of all i've ever done um uh, i'm considered self-taught because i didn't i i never took any workshops or went to um university or anything like that or an art school um and uh eventually kind of uh, my big break was um uh i got into a magazine 
just sort of randomly, they had found my work online and then they did an article and put the work on the cover of that issue, not because of a contest or anything like that, just purely based on the work. And I had been, you know, painting night and day for a few, a few years using Richard Schmidt's book, Paula Prima, um, okay. somewhere between there. I think that was, um, I was hitting that kind of study pretty hard for about three years between 20 and 23, I would say. And so that when I was 23, um, that's when the magazine saw my work. And that was really the big break after that, everything, everything else came after that, including, <clears throat> including meeting Richard and eventually painting with him. No kidding. So your yeah. connections, yeah, I didn't get it at all. I was under the impression that you studied with Richard at, at a younger age than that, but you really learned from him through the book, Alla Prima. That was your yeah. introduction to him. Okay. By wow. the time I, by the time we met, he had, um, he had, I, I don't want to say he knew who I was in that. I mean, he didn't know anything about me, but he had heard of me. Right. So right. it, it wasn't, um, it, uh, by then I had already been studying his book, like for about three years, I, I guess. Um, and we met at an event where they were using, um, actually it was an event put on by that magazine and they were using, um, my work on all of their, um, posters and brochures and catalogs and all of that kind of thing. So everybody had some image of my, my painting at this huge conference, the master, uh, weekend with masters. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, ever. of course. I'm familiar with that. Remember what that? magazine yeah. it was uh, fine art connoisseur. No, it was the, uh, American artist, which is no longer in print. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'm curious, see, I also bought that book when it came out. I was uh, a little further mm -hmm. in my car career. I'm older than you are. And so it wasn't good for me because it sent me kind of spiraling in the wrong direction. You know, I'd already really? kind of, a, yeah, it's, it's, it was, it's a great book. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely, he's sure. one of the greatest who ever lived, but, um, his, his approach to painting is so different than mine. And yet he was so dogmatic in the book. I kept second guessing everything I had done before. So it was, Ooh. it was difficult for me. So I had to put it away, but that's, that said, tell me how, when you say you studied it for three years, what does that look like? I don't think I've ever been into a book or, a, you know, any kind of instructional video or text or any kind for three years. Tell me how you went about doing that study. Oh, I guess that sounds a lot more special, maybe, or intelligent uh, of an approach <laughs> than, it, than it was. It's, it's that that was all I had other than magazines. I didn't have any other art books and I had never seen an art video or DVD. I don't, I don't know if there were any like downloads at that point. Um, so all I had was the internet and, um, I had seen Richard's work in a magazine, um, about five years prior when I was about 15. Okay. And that just stuck with me. So anytime there was a magazine, I guess if I stumbled on his work, I'd always kind of save it. And then I saved up the money and bought this, this book. 
So that was basically all I all I had. So as far as study, I did like everybody else. I just looked at the pictures, you know. And then once in a while, if I was struggling with something, I would maybe go back and, and read or, or you know, um, see what he said on something. It's interesting that you, you used the word dogmatic because um, I find that uh, across the board, most artists, particularly those who, who teach, um, are pretty dogmatic in general yeah and by comparison to those that i have since interacted with i found um i found richard to be less so than than others um uh but i mean i won't i'm not gonna start dropping names oh no that, there's very dogmatic know, teachers out there i'm not gonna yeah, disagree it, with you it, yeah yeah so um i guess good for you for just sort of saying, no, that's not what I'm after, even though it, despite its popularity and everyone's kind of high praise of it, because um, that's that's kind of hard to do. I think everyone is, especially at that age that I was, really susceptible to the dogma of whoever you you kind of stumble upon. You're almost you're almost subject to whoever you find. Um, right, right. You're gonna think they're right. They're the ones that are right. You know. No, he's definitely not. And and first of all, to be clear to the audience, that's not a critique of him either. But I will say oh, sure. he's I, hardly yeah. not. He's hardly the most dogmatic person or artist I've come across. Yeah. But you know what it comes down to is I would have loved to have become Richard Smith. The problem is it didn't align with my temperament. And I realized mm -hmm. that early on. So I would have had to force myself to become a totally different personality in order to be able to channel Richard Schmidt. That's really what it comes down to. It's if I could be Richard Schmidt, I would kill to be Richard Schmidt, but it just wasn't in me. So I had to go a different mm. direction. Um, but, you know, and that brings up a question about you. Clearly this, I mean, you're your own person. You're not Richard Schmidt. You've got your own work. It's very much Daniel Key's but there is influence there. I don't think you would deny that. Of course. Um, no. So tell me about your temperament. I mean, did you feel like it was an easy slide right into that way of thinking? Or was there any resistance that you, you know, hit as you were trying to learn how to paint like him? Well, um, it's, uh, when you're that age, this is, this is the issue I have with Pete, with, um, people who are of college age going to college and going to art school, when you're that age, I don't care how mature you are, you're impressionable and you're going to take whatever your, your instructor says as truth. Right. And so, and it, it, you know, you're going to be told you're a free thinker. You're not a free thinker at all. You don't know enough <laughs> to be a free thinker. Uh -huh. um, you're someone's clay and they're molding you. And, um, and that's just how it goes, you know. So I would say at, uh, I was no exception to that. At that age, um, I was definitely just going to accept anything and everything that that book said. And then later on in, in life, uh, while painting with him, you know, everything he said was, was right and, and, and true. When it came to art, <clears throat> right. we disagreed on, on uh, lots of other things. But um, I would say that... Um, uh along with that it was fortunate that that's who i 
stumbled upon of all the artists whose work I would see, which I guess wasn't a lot because I didn't, I wasn't exposed to a lot. Uh, his was always what I was most drawn to his, his paintings. I don't know what you mean by temperament in, in the um, sense of, you mean his actual personality or the approach no. that, that painting requires? Okay. For example, um, you know, uh, there are, I know an artist and I absolutely admire this artist, but because it may come off insulting, it's not meant to, I'm not going to mention the name. I know there are, and this artist I absolutely admire is a filthy artist. Like, and they, they, they'll, they'll like get goo. You know how, when the paint starts to get dry and goopy and it's oh, like sure. skin over the top and whatnot, he'll just scoop up paint. That's got half skin on it and half globs of dried clumps. And, and he'll put that into the brush stroke and he'll just leave it because he doesn't care. Right. Sure. And sure. then, but somehow when the painting is done, even though it's this kind of messy, goopy, globby, you know, pile of paint, it's so unbelievably beautiful. Right. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a temperament because he's able to not, not even so much able, but his temperament allows a certain level of, of filth and, and chaos. Whereas oh. there are other artists that are hyper controlled and every stroke has to be perfect. Right. That would okay. be the two extremes. And the person uh -huh. who's, you know, this particular artist, if you, if you move a painting from against the wall, a rat will run out of be from behind oh, it. Whereas okay. the tight artist might be constantly cleaning and during his breaks, you know, so sure. that, that kind of temperament, you know, that per those personality traits go into the painting process, I think. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I think that, uh, yeah, that, that does make sense. Um, I guess uh, for this that season of my life, I don't know if my temperament matched his just sort of, um, uh, you know, fortunately, you know, uh, it, it, maybe it did. Um, or if I was just impressionable enough that I would have adopted whatever was being presented to me. Yeah. So I know that since then, um at that time i would have just agreed with his philosophies of painting his approach um and and try to imitate it in order to learn from it uh and since then and i would have been more dogmatic probably more dogmatic than he was because i believed you know his this approach and i believe this philosophy and all of that so i would have been more dogmatic sort of in a secondary way and then as i've matured i've i've kind of branched out and i i take a different approach i don't yeah i i definitely uh have been heavily influenced by him and it shows in my work but even some of the approach, uh, as far as how I lay the paint down is, is entirely different. Um, and, uh, and then I'm, I'm much, uh, I don't know, I guess I have a broader eye than mm -hmm. I did before. And I accept all kinds of methods of painting and appreciate all kinds of methods. And so, okay. um, but it seems like that's appropriate. I mean, it seems it like that's the way it's supposed to go. You're supposed to absorb as much if you have that kind of an opportunity, whether it's a book or a, an actual physical person, just absorb as much as you can 
and then hopefully um, rebel a little bit or, you know, experiment a little bit and, and try to broaden your horizons and, and come up with, uh, a, you know, your own way. Yeah. Yeah, I think the difference between you and many students might be, well, let me just compare to myself. I went to a state school, University of Utah, and uh -huh. I was given only five options for teachers. And uh, a lot of times less than that, because I, it was whatever class was available, and it was usually the worst teacher uh -huh. that was available. <laughs> so um, whereas you chose your teacher in a way, even though technically he didn't, you didn't work with him personally, um, so maybe your your tastes and your temperament sort of led you to the person who you would be most apt to um, sure. emulate. Um, sure. is, yeah, because I remember when I first started painting and had this teacher, he told me things like, uh, put a brush stroke down and never touch it again, or, you're, or this is a dogmatic oh, yeah. part, or you're not a good painter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was in my head yeah, for like eight I years. That's where, oh man, I, I guess that's such a good thing to talk about because um, I, I teach, I've taught a lot of workshops and so much of it is un, un teaching people, getting people to unlearn and, and not because what they're doing is wrong, but because they think that's the only way to do something. Mm -hmm. and, well, this is what I was told that this is how you do it. Well, why? That's not being a free thinker. And this is true of all of society. You've just adopted or you've accepted as true what someone has said. You're not actually processing it yourself and coming up with that as an answer. You're not arriving at that conclusion. You've just adopted someone else's conclusion uh, and you assume it's right. And oh, yeah. uh, I, I run into that a lot with, with workshops. And that's one thing that. I guess it was a mixture of both as far as when, when we, when I eventually did paint with Richard, it was definitely a mixture because, you know, that was the latter part of his life. And so earlier days, he would have been much harsher and, and more dogmatic. I've talked to artists who, you know, they painted with him maybe in the eighties or something, and it was a different experience for them. Really? Uh, he was much, he was much softer. He was much more, you know, he was more diplomatic um, in some respects. Um, he was more outspoken in other respects. And so it, I don't know, I, I, it was kind of a combination of, he was very clear in what he thought was right in his approach, but he made room for other uh, approaches. And then he also, he kind of, his whole thing was about there are no rules. So why, how could I possibly tell someone else don't do it that way? It, it doesn't make sense. I mean, he would say things like that. So it didn't feel dogmatic because he allowed for at least this um, kind of uh, pragmatic approach uh, or, or intelligent way of analyzing it. Like, how can I tell you what's wrong? There is no book that says you can't hold the brush this way, or you can't apply the paint that way. That doesn't even make any sense. So, it didn't feel, it didn't feel so rigid, at least at the time that I worked with him. You know, I'm gonna have to read that book again, because what might have happened is, is my respect for him might have created this feeling that everything was rigid. Because if he said mm -hmm. it, it's true, it's fact. It's, mm -hmm. So it may not be so much that his statements were that, I'll have to look back into it. It's been a decade since I've even looked at the book, but 
yeah. I'd be curious now if he actually yeah. was dogmatic or if I brought that to the table and was like, no, it's Richard Schmidt. Everything he says has to be exactly right. You know, who knows? I'll have to check in. I think that's the, I think that's what happens. I mean, at that time, in those early years, I probably would have thought that, but I would have accepted the dogma. Right, right. You know, in, in my head, it probably would, you know, sure, it would be dogma at that season of your life because you're used to getting everyone's opinion and everyone telling you what to do. Right. And so um, I would have accepted it. But looking back on it now, I don't I don't think I would see it that way at all, whether I accepted it or not. Um, yeah, I don't think I'd see it that way because his whole thing and it, even in the book, it, it, he's constantly talking about how there are no rules. You know? I totally misread it. That's yeah. funny. I, <laughs> you brought up some really good points. I'm going to definitely, right after this podcast, I'm going to go back and read it. Because um, I bet Maybe I'm right I need to read it. Maybe it's nothing but rules, and I totally missed <laughs> yeah. it. No, I, I suspect you're more familiar with it than I am. <laughs> not as much as people think. I've probably read it through like one time. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe not then. Who knows? Well, okay. Yeah. So later you really became a mature artist and you you know found yourself so to speak and and added your own approaches so. so tell me a little bit about that how do you, how did you see that evolution take place was it an intentional thing where it's like oh i need to try something new or mm -hmm. did it happen sort of one accident after another after another no it's it's very much like i mean i i relate it to just natural growing up it's 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 exactly what kids do you go through those stages where everything you know your parents are they know everything they're so smart and and you just sort of mimic them and you you want to grow up and be them you know and then you reach those years where you you don't want to be like them you want to do everything the opposite of what they would do and and try to find find yourself and, and figure things out for yourself. And I think I, I did that um, for a while and it was very difficult to do because you at the same time have this extremely high esteem for what someone else is creating. And so, um, you know, you, you have accepted the, the supposed dogma and and uh like this is the way to do it so it's very difficult to just come up with a new way kind of um willy-nilly so i would try in whatever way i could to if if you know um he painted it light backgrounds i started painting dark backgrounds you know something just to do something that would be different on purpose trying to to break myself of of just the, the mimicry. And so uh, what really helped was starting to pay more attention to what I, whatever I was drawn to or attracted to in real life. I, you know, of course I wanted to paint still lifes and flowers and, and I want to paint all things, but mostly those things. And so um, instead of looking for something that looked like it could belong in a Richard Schmidt painting, I tried to just pay attention to what I, what I liked and what I was okay. you know, attracted to. And when I would do that, um, I would, I would learn, I would, if I would paint it, if I would respond to that thing that I was responding to by painting it, I would end up, um, kind of, I don't know, creating something that seemed like it was my own 
And um, hmm. the more I did that, the, the, the better I felt about kind of exploring. I, it's funny we're talking about this because I feel like this is where I am right now again, where um, I've just done these large uh, still lifes um, that will be in the pre-West. And so they are kind of hearkening back to that that uh, you know what I what I like to paint and very much influenced by you know what I've learned from Richard, uh, but I look at these again and I think, oh, okay, we need to we need to rebel a little more. Really? And um, oh yeah. So tell me what tell me more about that. What is it that you see in them? You know that you feel comfortable. Obviously, you don't want to just pick your work apart in public, but. <laughs> But what maybe you could tell me, you know, abstractly what it is that you think you want to or what direction you want to move. Well, that it is abstract. I don't know. That's the OK. Thing. If, if I were if I were clear about it, I would do it. Yeah. It's more of it a, yeah. It's more of a sense of like, OK, this is this is uh, I, I don't have any doubt that people look at this and they uh, I mean, if they've kind of followed representational art for a while, they're going to probably know that it's mine. Um, I'm, I'm assuming, um, but there, there's, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I should be content when I look at this, this, this is not a Richard Schmidt, but this is clearly someone who admires Richard Schmidt and that's a really good thing. And, and I've learned a lot. Um, I feel like there's enough of it that's me but maybe there could be more hmm. it just in uh, i don't know i don't know okay um, it's well, i'm still excited to see what you do that's what i thought well for a while there uh i was i started um a few years ago to paint these um mostly uh roses with kind of like sunset light behind them and that's kind of a whole series of of paintings I've been doing the last few years. And I, that was really exciting because that to me was nothing like, I mean, there, I don't know that you could look at those and see a link to um, necessarily Richard or, or other, you know, artists that I've, I've been inspired by. So I'm here on your Instagram account. I wonder, ah, oh, here we go. Like any, this. any of those. Yeah. yeah. Any of those, even the ones you scrolled by. Okay. Yeah. So I, okay. So about this subject matter thing, how the subject matter was sort of the leader of your evolution. Would you say that by choosing a unique subject matter, it kind of released you from the temptation to look at how Richard Schmidt would have painted that thing? And so you kind of had to bring yourself into it and say, oh, well, this is something where I can't just refer to one of his paintings. Now I've got to solve this problem myself. I mean, maybe I'm not saying that was even conscious, but was that part of the process maybe? That is the, I'd say maybe uh, even universally, anyone who's trying to, um, just i hate to say the cliche you know words find yourself but anyone who's really trying to settle on who they they think they are or want to be i think that's part of of it do some of your own problem solving you're not going to be a free thinker without having to solve some of your own problems 
figure mm -hmm. something out um, and uh, don't go make problems and solve them, but at least just take whatever is currently in front of you and try to try to figure it out for yourself. And so um, if I chose something that I was innately attracted to, but I had not seen painted, even if I tried to imagine how someone else would paint it, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Because people do that all the time. Like, how would Sargent paint this, you know? Or how would Zor what would Zorn's approach be? You're still going to probably end up with something that's you because mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're assuming a lot. Right. You know, so you're going based on what you think. And it's still how you think they would have painted. There's, there's still a lot of you in it. I totally and agree. And so I think, I, think it, I think that would be a great approach. Um, and you don't have to paint something unique and that it's something that's never been painted before. I don't know if there is such a thing. It's just for me, I, I felt, um, I felt it, it, if it was something that I was somehow drawn to, if, you know, it could be a person or a thing or a place, um, then that's very much you, you're, you're responding, you're responding to yourself. So instead of, looking at something um i just remember going through like antique stores or vintage stores even with other friends and you'd see something that you saw in a painting that you really like mm -hmm. what i mean you'd see something similar to oh yeah that you know it looked very much you can imagine it painted when you looked at it because you've already seen it that in a painting or you've seen it done well in a painting and you really liked it and so uh, if that's all I ever chose, I, I would never yeah. really break away. You know what I mean? Oh, I totally know what you mean. I, yeah. And it's, it's scary at first. You're, you're like, when you don't feel confident in your skill set and you see something that, oh, you're really attracted to it, but you've not seen it painted before. So you really, it's hard, it's difficult to imagine it as a painting. Uh, it's a scary thing. And so... If, if you'll do it anyway, and um, just kind of, you'll overcome that fear, you'll realize there's more than what you previously knew, and you'll probably find some bit of yourself that you can show to the world, at least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, speaking of subject matter, you, early, you said earlier that, I think you said you're interested in flowers and still life. I remember when you came to my studio, that you were very adamant that you are not just a still life painter. You said, no, I paint sure. everything, you know? And then, sure. and then a couple years later, <laughs> you went to the porch society and you totally took home the Draper prize with a, a portrait. And I was like, boom, Sorry. high five. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was just going to show the, show the viewers, the one that you won the Draper prize with and just was like, bam, I'm a portrait painter too. Yeah, and congrats really, to you for that. Well, thank you. That's a it, it's a total accident that you won that or that you painted. Oh that? yeah, yeah. Well, no, 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 no. I wanted to paint it. I had that idea in my head for a long time, and again, that would have been I'm, that idea would have been in my head for years, and I just waited until I felt I had the right um, level of skill, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, uh, I, I, I painted that for 
because I wanted to and for myself and um, I was having a one man exhibition, I had no intention of um, putting that into portrait society. And I was, um, I was going to present uh, that year, give like a demonstration and stuff. Um, I had agreed to do that. And so I thought, oh, if the deadline is midnight tonight, I should probably enter something, you know, just, <laughs> you know, like, just, just yeah. it was, it was like a courtesy thing. Like I, I should, I, I should, I should try to uh, support this, you know, and, and get involved in, in all of that. And so I tried entering portraits, you know, I thought it's a portrait, it's portrait. So I had like some head studies that right. I had done and I had one that I really liked and some other ones I thought these will be great. So I, I went through, you know how it is, you, you know, it's online, you're entering, you put in all your information and I don't know, you pay the fee, whatever it is, it would reject it. What? Why? Like, it, it, it wasn't going through. I assume because it was so close to the deadline, there was probably 5,000 other people. Oh, dude, that's divine intervention know. right there. <laughs> so wouldn't accept it, tried again, wouldn't accept it. I thought, let me try a different image. It would, because, you know, it would not load it wouldn't fully load the image or something. What? And so that is again, crazy. I, I, this is not a joke. I'm not making this up. I thought, okay, let me try this one. And it was that painting. And then it went through I'm like, Oh man, what? I don't think of, I thought those aren't portraits. Yeah. I mean, that's not a portrait. They're getting know? looser and, and looser so, all the time on that though. Big time, which I think well, is a good thing. I, well, I do too, but I, I feel like this was one of the ones that they really made it clear how loose they were willing to get. You know what <laughs> I mean? Bit. Because up until then, every every winner I had seen, because I mostly only saw the winners, it wasn't like I was involved in the Portrait Society, so I hardly saw anything about it. And so I would just once in a while, you know, it'd come up in a, a post online or something, and you'd see this person won this. I didn't even know what the Portrait Society was until a few years before that. And so they were very much portrait, like like standard, seemed very traditional or whatever. And right. um, so so then I got a call from um, Michael Shane Neal, however many weeks later I was in my car. And I thought, oh, that's funny that he's calling. And, he uh, he said, hey, you know, you've been accepted as a finalist. I said, why? What are you talking about? This, are, are, are you sure? Like, that doesn't even make sense. This is not a portrait. <laughs> You're like, you did know? one of the other ones actually make it through? <laughs> no, and none of them did. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's totally accidental. Yeah. And it... Every year is amazing. I, my students, a bunch of my students are going this year, and I think you're on the staff this year too, right? Yeah. You're yeah. faculty, whatever they call it. So I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing you there, by the way. But um, um, like nine of my students are going, and I told them they're all excited about going to museums and the portrait gallery. And you may disagree with this, but honestly, my highlight um, when I go to the D.C. between the portrait gallery, with some exceptions, with some exceptions, is really not the portrait gallery it's the 20 winners like that is sure. some of the best work you're ever going to see in sure. one place so to win the draper prize in my opinion is a huge compliment because man all 20 of those pieces were stellar i 
thank you. Um, it, it, it's still, if I replay it in my head, I think, oh, they really, um, I don't know. Like they no, really you deserved them. it. What the heck? You, you know? deserved it. I don't know. I, I really uh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's still kind of a I don't know. It's a, a funny, a funny. I, I'm very grateful, you know, that it happened. Um, uh, I'm I, I sort of I sort of was like, oh, OK, well, this is good. And, and and this was fun. And then I went back to still life. <laughs> <laughs> You're, You're like, shoot, like, I proved to Jeff Hine and back in Salt Lake that I'm a portrait painter. Yeah, that's totally, yeah. Um, Absolutely. You know, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that, that was the year Tim Reese painted his wife and pregnant wife and kids too, right? Or was that a different No, year? no, that was the following year. And actually, um, we had talked about it, how, and I'm not saying that he credits me completely, but that... Um, he and others had paid attention to just how okay it's becoming less about just this singular portrait and more about a story and sort of a mm. you know something that people can insert themselves into i think uh if you have a traditional commissioned portrait it better be really unbelievably good uh because it in itself it might not get the attention that you think it's worthy of right because people have, people have a hard time inserting themselves into that kind of a, a painting unless they're it's of of them they they have a difficult time and so with mm -hmm. this particular painting, i think i think what it was and i had one of the judges come up to me and she said it was unanimous because you know it's a panel of people no kidding it's, it's not it's not a single judge no kidding and she said there was no question it was it was unanimous i said you're kidding like you know I, I was just totally totally flabbergasted i mean the night that i won i i actually did a podcast with my friend about the whole thing and it's kind of comical to listen to because it was it almost made me sick to my stomach to sit there at the dinner and they're going through all of these names and you oh, know right now I've so you there. know, yeah, you know your name is going to be called at some point, and you just think at any moment it's going to be called, and it keeps, it you don't hear your name, and you're you're, and then they hear the J name, and you're just like, oh, that one was a J. I'm yeah. next. I'm next. And, and then exactly. they don't say you're, it, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> well, and I, but I wasn't like, whoa. It, it was almost. It, I got sicker and sicker to myself. I thought I was gonna like. I thought I was gonna have to excuse myself, you know, <laughs> and go to the bathroom because I thought this, I did not care at all about, and, and people might not believe this, but I honestly, I did not think I would win. I didn't care about winning. I thought, just get this over with. I This is torture. I hate this, Yeah, uh, you know? And so I thought, just call my name already so that this can be over and we forget it. I, I don't want to do this again. And then, I thought there were still more names to be called. I wasn't counting in my head. You kind of know, but I was confused because there was fifth place and fourth and third. And, and then there's a first place and a first place this and a first place that. So I'm like, I'm confused. I'm not hearing straight, you know. My <laughs> it is confusing. Is, yeah. And then uh, it was um, uh, 
David and Shana were sitting at a table and they kept turning around and, and, and Shana's like, she's pointing. It's, it's you. I said, no, That's no, David Casson and Shana Levinson. Yeah. 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 Uh, sorry. Um, so they, uh, Shana, especially, uh, she was pointing and, and I, and I said, no, I, I no, there's more names. She's like, there's no, more, there's no more names, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. That's gold. They, they, they call it. But anyway, um, I was about to say that the, the reason I think you're going to see, or we're seeing more and more of or whatever you want to call it. And so many people came up to me during that conference and all they would talk about, of course, you know, they were saying complimentary uh, words, um, but they kept saying how it reminded them of their childhood or their children or yeah. their grandchildren. And you looked at the person and you think, well, if your children or grandchildren look anything like you, like they're related to you, how could this remind, you know, these are clearly, um, you know, uh, white, redhead, blonde children. I mean, you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? And so because it's not a portrait, because it's more going on, people just were able to insert themselves into the painting. And I think that they could respond to it. I agree. And it's difficult to do that if it's just a stiff kind of um, portrait, not to criticize portraiture, obviously. I mean, I like portraiture. Yeah, but man, watch it. I, I just think in general, <laughs> yeah. I'm saying in general, it's difficult for, I mean, Richard, for it was getting back to him, um, had stacks and stacks of portraits in his, I used to go through his studio uh, and just kind of by myself, peel the canvases apart that were stuck face to face together mm, mm -hmm. of all his portraits, amazing, unbelievable portraits, unbelievable. I mean, people would lose their minds because they're all just kind of sticking together. You know? Oh gosh. And, um, the reason why is because they they don't they wouldn't sell if he painted a landscape or he painted a flower he you know he wouldn't have been able to sign it fast enough before someone's dropping all kinds of money to have it but if it's a face someone doesn't know it's it's a harder it's harder for it people is. to say yeah I want to hang that on my wall it is yeah I didn't learn a lot in art school because you know university art department. But one thing one teacher said to me that has been a career long endeavor, she said, you have to figure out how to make a portrait more than a portrait. And I think mm -hmm. that's what you've hit on here where, yeah, mm -hmm. these are good likenesses of these kids. I'm assuming they look like good likenesses, but it's so much more than a portrait. It's a narrative. You're, you're storytelling. Right. And not only that, right. but it's open-ended storytelling. It's not like you're mm -hmm. shoving it down someone's throat. Yeah. Know? Right. There's storytelling, but it's not illustration. Right. Not to put down illustration, but I mean, I know artists who they're all about storytelling, but it's a definite story. I mean, you're not really confused about what's going on and what you're supposed to know about what's going on. Right. And that that's not the direction um, that this or any of my paintings are, are going in. Um, it's, it, it's somehow a narrative that that someone can, uh, even if they don't look like the person or don't have that exact experience, they still, it's like a more, um, how do I say it? Almost like a, a more of a universal idea about, in this instance, childhood, you know, 
curiosity and, and, and things like that, more of a general, larger concept. And if you can put that into the painting, then people can insert themselves because everybody, that's sort of a universal experience, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And man, you know, my memory must be really failing me because I keep thinking about that, that weekend. I could have sworn Tim Reese and you were in the same year, but I trust you on that one. But the reason no, I asked, it was, it was, Oh, go ahead. The reason I ask is because I remember, um, it, I guess it was a separate year that Tim Reese was one of my top three. And then yours was one of my top three choices on, and I thought it was the same year, but, um, mm -hmm. but what I loved about both of them is just what you just described. It's a narrative without being an illustration. It's, and I'm not opposed to illustration mm -hmm. either. I mean, I, I do biblical right, illustrations, right. right? But, right. but there's something, um, yours more so even than Tim's, but, um, there's something so much more approachable about a painting that that doesn't force you to think a certain thing, but but asks yes. you to think. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what a lot of portraiture, uh, not to not to criticize it, but that's what a lot of it is missing. And that's why when I, um, my, uh, right from the beginning, even the, in those early days when I probably told you, I'm not just a still life painter, I'm going to paint all kinds of things. My approach, um, I had determined even at that point was I, I find most portrait painting um, kind of boring mm -hmm, to, mm -hmm. to, to look at. And so I want to, what, what would it take for me to find it interesting? I was just basically solving my own problem of, of, you know, what would, what would I want to look at if I, if I, you know, had to live with this painting, um, what would I be most attracted to? And so, um, it, I find that that's not necessarily a unique, um, issue. I think just in, in general, a lot of people, except for artists, the ones that buy head studies are other artists, you know, yeah, yeah. they're looking at technique, they're looking at it on a whole nother level, right. but a lot, a lot of people, um, that that's not what they're, they're looking for. Um, so. For this, for that particular painting, and and what I you know determined would be any painting that would include a figure or or a portrait, whatever you want to call it, um, it would have to have more in it. So that's why it's got still life and you know an interesting kind of background and objects and and it's funny. I look at this one now and I think, ah, oh, it's a little too simple. I should have added more. You know and, what? And, really? Where? Where and, do you oh, feel like it's too simple? It's not simple well, at all. I don't know. I feel like I feel like that now. I would treat as like the first layer of of the painting, and I would paint a whole nother layer on top of it. Isn't that frustrating? It's like being an artist. You're technology and every year your previous year is obsolete and it's so frustrating yeah it's well i mean i guess it is it's sort of nice though um to look back on and and see sometimes i i i progress and i realize oh i've gone i've gone astray from what i originally might have intended um and sometimes i'll go back you know to those things what's nice is i have a record of all of those iterations yeah those, yeah that's true those seasons and so i can actually look back on them and and make a more informed decision today 
um, by looking at some of the ones that maybe weren't totally right or maybe were void of what I know now, but there was still something there right. that I knew. You know, it's funny, as soon as I said that, in my in my mind, in my soul, I was like, no, that's not the worst thing. Because, you know, that years ago I painted a painting that took me, I don't know, uh, a decade to outdo. And, wow. And, um, I th and I thought I would never paint a better painting. That's worse than what I just said. That's a worse feeling. <laughs> sure. I would rather be obsolete the last year than be obsolete this year. Um, it is a little... I know what you mean. I, I, it's a little rough sometimes to you. You actually want to look back on your old work and feel that you've improved. And it's a little disheartening to look back on old work and think, wow, that was better. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not necessarily a good do, thing. <laughs> how did I do that? Where did I go wrong? <laughs> yeah. So true. So true. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, since I've got Porch Society on the mind, tell, tell me what you're doing at the Porch Society this year. I'm going to do pastel. Oh, you um, are? Awesome. Yeah, I, Main stage I, or breakout? Uh, the paint off and um, breakout. Okay, awesome. Are you doing as it far, with another artist or by yourself? I think it's, no, I shouldn't just be by myself as far as I know. Okay, yeah. great. Great. I kind of loosely agree to things. I just that's how we all are. <laughs> yeah, I just tell them what I don't want to do. Okay. And then, um, yeah, so. Wait, I, I'm curious. What don't you want to do? I don't want to do the critiques. Oh, I you know, know those are hard. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know how, I guess, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure that in, in many cases it's helpful. I just don't know how helpful it is. I mean, I don't know. Um, I just would feel bad sitting there and telling someone what to do. It's different when it's in a class over several days and you're, you're, you have time to explore concepts and really delve into something, right. introduce things and show them things visually. It's, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. So I'm not crazy about that. Um, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know if there's anything else I flat out turn down. Well, I don't want to like do like the workshops or the classes or anything like that. Um, so, and, and then everything else is not something that you, you sign up for. If I could skip the banquet, I could do that, I guess. Um, I think you can skip the to. banquet. You don't have to go to the banquet. Yeah, I, I, I might, but my friends will probably. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to unless you're in the show and you're you are not allowed to ever show ever enter I know, again. You know, they changed they changed that after I I won. And not because I won, but that's the, I was the last year that um you could re-enter even if you were previous winners. Oh, so you can re-enter. No, I cannot. I up until the year I so the year, the reason I think it changed yeah. is because the year that I won, the, the runner up, the one who almost got the Draper prize, yeah. basically, had won it several years prior. Oh, so they I wasn't aware of that. So this is a new yeah, rule. They, they technically almost, I mean, you have to figure they got first place 
they they so their work was definitely qualified to take home the Draper Prize, but they had won the Draper Prize. I don't know how many ever, however many years prior, and so um, I think that made them kind of step back and think, oh, we need to make this a a lifetime achievement. Kind oh, of I had no idea. I thought it always been that way. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, let's, no. Uh, yeah. Thanks for doing that one. Although most I've never shows wanted, are so. not. Most shows are not that way. I mean, that's kind of. I, I have mixed feelings about it. I think because it's only been, what is this now, the twenty fifth year or something. Um, so that's kind of not very many people at that time. It was the twentieth year, and so I I understood them wanting to make it kind of a you win and that's it, but. I don't know. I mean, most other shows are not that that way. The Pre West isn't isn't that way. You can win multiple times, or I think other shows you can win multiple times. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about it, but my gut feeling is I would rather compete with the winners if I were to submit. I want to know where I stand with with the winners. But yeah, that's just my. I don't know. But I could see an argument either way. Let's pull up some of your work. So, yeah, so here we're on Instagram. I'm going to scroll up here to the top. Is there anything in particular you'd like to talk about? Um, no. Okay. No. Well, uh, I have a question about this so. one then. So w what made you start moving into pastel? I mean, it seems like a natural progression for you because it's a pastel, particularly the way you're using it, has such a painterly quality to it. And honestly, yeah. you almost, they're almost indistinguishable from your paintings until you really analyze them and go, yeah, that's not paint. Um, well, it is paint. Technically. It's yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's paint. It's the same. So what, okay. I want to talk about that for a sec. What, how it's pigment without the oil. So what makes it paint? I've always wondered about that because well, a lot of people call pastel paint. I think of it as more yeah. synonymous with charcoal. Yeah, I suppose um, I get that. Um, watercolor doesn't have oil either. You know, it's it's just that there's not the same kind of a binder. Right. You know, um, all the paints have a different binder. Um, pastel has some binder in it, you know, to hold it together. It's just it's, it's a dry paint. Okay. You know? Okay. Um, I mean, I'm not arguing with you. I just painting. wonder why we decided that as an art world, that this is paint. And I have those same questions. So yeah. it's not, I don't feel like you're, I am not, I haven't been doing this long enough to be <laughs> irate at the same questions that all the, it's the funniest thing like this. There's yeah. this whole world of these pastel artists. And if you say I'm constantly questioning what I'm saying, like I, I gave, uh, workshops and demos, main stage demos at the last um, big conference that they had. And I'm demoing, you know, I mean, all of these people are, are watching all of these established, some of them very established pastel painters and, and I'm showing them what I know, but I'm constantly asking like, is that what you call it? You know? And, so uh, is this how you describe it? You know, because I don't know the jargon. I don't know what's acceptable. Except what's your master at it. Well, so 
what I know so far, what I've heard is that it's it's the same pigment as you know all the other paints. It's just a different binder and it's a dry. No, I, I know oh. the story, you know, but here's, here's the thing. And it maybe this is a question for the E30 uh, people outside, but, but I'm going to throw it out there is if I took a colored pencil and I made it a half an inch thick and I drew a flower or whatever with it, it's got so much wax in it and, and binder, so to speak, mm -hmm. is it paint now? Right. <laughs> well, I don't know what I, I don't know what pigment. I know that pastel, uh, like pastel pencils or pastel sticks, are totally different um, from like a colored pencil. They're not the same. Um, yeah. Do they call color? Do they call the, pastel the pencils paint too? Uh, no, they call them pastel pencils. But um, I think I think if you did a if you did a complete work with pastel pencil, it would not be like, you wouldn't be able to enter it into a pastel painting competition. I don't understand these rules. Someone in the comments explained to me why, why pastel is different than pastel <laughs> pencils. I don't get me. it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know get it. But the bottom line is, in my opinion, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it is what it is. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful image. Um, but they're much. a lot of fun fun to do i i really enjoy it i think they'd be a blast i bought some pastels years ago i haven't tried it yet i need to because i think what would be fun about them is just the optical mixing because you're mixing on you're forced to mix on the paper instead of on a palette. Well, yeah or you spend a million dollars and you buy every color that and value that there is which do you do mix or buy I every value yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course you do some layering, you know, you're basically, you know, you're, doesn't matter how many you buy, you're still missing something. And so okay. uh, there's a lot of, of layering that, that color over another in order to get a totally different color. Um, but having, having a wide variety is, is nice to to have i would say that it's actually frustrating and, and you would probably run into this too i though i haven't watched you paint um but most most artists who know what they're doing i mean they're mixing color in seconds you know and, mm -hmm. and testing and whatever it's rapid so much time is spent trying to find the stupid color and value that you want <laughs> i bet in your mix of things and you're like i could have made this color in three seconds with oil paint. So it's, yeah, it, it, it's, that's the most time consuming part of it is finding the right. Yeah. Thing. I imagine you put a color down and you're like, oh, it's two shades too light. And then you yeah. just got to look for one that's two shades darker. And then you put yeah. it down again. And, you and hope it's that you're organized enough with the pastels that you can find it. You know, yeah. okay, if you know, this is too, you know, just the hair too light and too red. So now you're, you're comparing it. Okay. What's, what would be a little darker and a little more oh, God, yellow? That sounds tedious. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. <laughs> that sounds, that sounds rough. Well, now I have a whole, you know, another level of appreciation for this. Cause I'm looking at all of these brilliant colors and imagining all the searching that went into it. Like, that's one thing about pastels that I find so 
you know, interesting is just the richness of the pigment. And I imagine a lot of that's because it's not all tinted with a yellow binder with oil. It's funny that people say that pastelists uh, say that about themselves. Uh, I mean, uh, their own work, but it's not as, as it, it is extremely rich, but it doesn't look that way because there is no oil or, you know, kind of liquid in it. It's actually, to me, it looks duller than an oil paint. Oh, uh, so on any, on the internet, it probably comes off about the same, but in real life I'd without say, well, the gloss. I mean, in person, in person, people think that they're the same. I think it's just me. I don't know. But I, because it, it would be like if you took an oil painting and you sprayed matte varnish on it. Oh, right. All the dark so sink the in. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean you still can get pretty dark. It's just that everything looks a little bit, I don't know, it looks a little bit softer. And you know, if you took that exact same pigment and mixed it with oil, it would be way too dark or saturated. Mm. You know, I mean, it's just like these, these extremes. I don't know. I just, uh, it's funny to me. It does look rich. Um, but it's it's still it's softer to me than than an oil painting as far as intensity goes so how so that's actually one of the reasons i like it because it keeps me from being too kind of garish with the color. really okay so how smooth of a transition was this for you did are you hiding a lot of your duds or did you was it a pretty natural transition that's, those kinds of questions only make me sound like a uh, a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> so we know the answer. It doesn't though. You're asking, <laughs> you're asking for, I mean, so what happened was the, I have a little paint group. We get together on Saturdays at a local gallery and the lady who owns the gallery kind of heads everything up. And, um, I just like having something local kind of to do. And so she primarily works in pastel. And so she kind of just, you know, um, wanted me to try it, like, you know, just for fun. And uh, the first one I did, she sold like that day, <laughs> you know, because mm -hmm. it, it, it really is exactly all the, it, you know, it's all it's the same painting. things. It doesn't matter if you're painting watercolor, acrylic or oil or whatever, it's still drawing color value edges composition. So the learning curve was the, it's a whole different set of tools. And so a different set of techniques and, and, um, that was, that was the, the struggle, just trying to figure out what, what can you do? How does this move and what does it feel like? And, um, what's allowed, you know, right. so much of it is just like, I I'm doing this, but I'm not sure if this is what you're supposed to do. And, um, I would imagine you'd have to take a minute to, to decide, especially with your work. Cause one of the things I love about your work and I think is unique to your work is your edge quality. You have these very dynamic, wispy edges and, and kind of lost and found forms. I mean, I, most people would say lost and found lines, but you literally let forms come in and out of focus with your, you know, hardening and softening edges. But you would have to do that in a very different way with a dry stick than you do with a wet brush. So I imagine you had yeah, to take a minute to just figure that out. Yeah, um, you once you get because you know it's kind of like sandpaper that you're working on. Mm -hmm. So you can't just start rubbing it unless 
Well, you could, and then you could go rob a bank later because you'll have no fingerprints. Um, <laughs> but once there's a layer kind of of the pastel on there, you can start to oh use your your hands, and so actually it becomes um, it becomes pretty quickly. You can transition, and it becomes pretty innate because you just start putting. I mean, some people paint oil paint that way they they just put a brush stroke down and they'll break an edge or something just by you know using their finger so it's sort of um it, it, it's quicker than you think you'd get used to it faster than you think okay the other thing that i would say really helped and and probably uh, i might not have adapted as quickly as i did except that the first very first step to all of these pastel paintings that I do is I put some color down and then I brush with um, rubbing alcohol. Oh. So I actually do a painting oh. with the pastel. Um, no kidding. So are you saying that once you get a layer of pastel down, it almost flows like paint? It's It can kind of move? No, you're not saying that. The, so the first layer is uh, putting a little bit of it down, sort of approximate color and value maybe of each object, but just really rough and taking rubbing alcohol with a brush and brushing that. Okay, not a layer. Then, what I meant was once you start to build up some. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and it also, I should say, it depends on the surface that you use. Not oh. everyone uses a sanded kind of, surface you can you can use a, a smoother one there's different stuff out there i like the grittier kind of stuff because i like the way it grabs the the pigment um so because i use the rougher stuff i can't just start using my hand to blend or anything right away um so once it does get enough of it on there, though, you you know, you've added maybe a couple layers or you put enough pigment down, you can, because it fills in all those grooves, you can kind of move it around with your finger and not worry about sanding your fingerprints off. Hmm. Um, so, you know, it's all problem solving. So you just figure out different ways to meet the need that you have. If you need to soften an edge, um, of course, that first step with the alcohol wash, you're actually using a brush. You can you can actually, you know, blend the colors together. The next layer, you need to soften an edge, but there's not enough pigment on. You can use the, put your maybe um, shapes of color next to each other and take another mid-tone or something and just kind of go between those two and soften it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And then once there's enough, then once there's enough pigment down, you have the option to introduce your finger into the mix and blend it that way. So, I mean, that's all of painting. Basically, you're you're constantly just trying to problem solve. Yeah. So this I want to show. This is why the whole idea of this. You. This is how you do it, or this is how. This is the way to hold the brush. This is what, you know, the dogma that we talked right. about earlier. Right. And having to get people to totally change their thinking, which is very difficult to do in, in the course of like a workshop. Um, it Maybe it'd be different to work with people long term. 
but getting them to unlearn those things and realize that no there's no there's no rule it's you trying to figure out how to do the thing you achieve the look that you're after you know or right feeling right or whatever right one thing i want to ask you about is something relates to what i'd mentioned earlier i had i had said that one thing you're so good at is creating forms that are almost like lost and found forms you know we we talk about in art all the time lost and found edges lost and found lines but you have like entire petals that almost merge into the background and then when we step back it's just all comes into focus and um it's it's like that thing we all geek out about as artists where it's the beautiful brush marks up front up close and then we step back and it comes into focus in fact when i was in college another thing that someone said to me maybe this was college i can't remember that a painting should look good from three inches away three feet away and 30 feet away and I would mm. say that you're hitting that mark big time. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, um, well, it's, um, I, I think it's, it's my attempt at having lost and found edges. Um, it, you're, you're sort of taking it a step further. I've never actually, I, it's, I'm, I'm not aware of, or I wasn't aware, I wasn't considering that I was creating lost and found forms. So that's kind of a new um, thing. I, I like it. Uh, you, know, sound <laughs> you can have really, it. Really good. It's, yeah, I guess I, I guess maybe I, I'm doing that, but it's in an attempt to just have lost and found edges. But, um, and I, I run into this uh, so frequently in workshops that I actually created I made like a, a video, and so it's a download on my website where it's not a demonstration. It's just me going through the process of analyzing and observing something that's in front of you so that you can break that apart and then interpret it with paint. And so the thing I run into so often when we when we hit this idea of edges, um, we have to address that many people are just making them up. Hmm. And, uh, and so I think people will look at my work or others who paint sort of in this manner um, and, and assume or presume that we're, we're, we're making up the edges and, and they'll even analyze it or they'll, they'll teach other people kind of falsely using our work as an example that, see how they've created this edge and made it the focal point and then they they made the other edges looser you know or secondary and that's not what i'm doing it at all um or at least not not entirely it's it's i i create the edge that i want by how i set it up because i make all of my decisions about those things um by squinting and comparing. And I know everyone kind of thinks, oh yeah, well, I, you know, I do that. But truly um, it's based on the information that's actually there. I'm not, I'm not just sort of flippantly making an edge hard or making one soft. I'm trying to observe what I think is actually occurring. And then I, I might push it a little bit, um, but it's, it's, um, it's in direct relation to what I'm 
I'm the information that I'm taking in. So like this example that you have up here, that edge between the two petals in the center, the light and the dark, um, I determined that when I set it up, meaning that I created that hard edge as soon as I put those two contrasting values together. Hmm. If I wanted to, if I wanted to change that edge, I don't do it in my painting. I would do it in my setup. If I didn't want a hard edge there, I would uh, rearrange or introduce or reduce what's there so that I I eliminate that contrast. So when you squint, what you're saying is that it's contrast that's at least accentuating the hard edges while squinting. Yeah, so um, it's the values that at least that's the first thing I consider right. when I am trying to discern what edges that scene is creating. Okay. And so where there's a vast amount of contrast, uh, obviously, even I mean, even now you have the, with the painting, you squint down the things where there's that kind of jolting contrast. Those those are just they're discernible even up until you your eyes close. You yeah, know, so those yeah. are those are usually my my uh, harder edges. That's not the only thing I consider because there are there are other things. Um, you know, uh, the, the 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 turn or you know the form. If something turns gradually or abruptly, you know, that's going to also um, determine an edge. And then the the inequality, you know, of the surface. Is it is it fur? You know, that's going to determine right. the edge work. Right. So are you suggesting that it is you can't successfully soften the edge between the shadowed petal i don't know my flowers what's that white flower an orchid an orchid sorry i'm terrible at flowers That's all right. between the dark side of the orchid petal and the light petal behind it like if you were to soften uh -huh. that edge it's completely inappropriate regardless of where it is in the painting due to its contrast yeah if you uh, yeah because it, it's not it what is. you see yeah. squinting it's, yeah, that wouldn't be that would not be real life. I mean, that's you can you can do that and manipulate it with a camera, you know, uh, because it can only focus on one thing at a time. And even the human eye only focuses on one part at a time. But you're not just painting that one part. Your eye moves around. You're right. painting it. Your your eye is not meant to just focus on what you're you're moving around this whole scene of whatever in this case it you know being flowers so if you wanted a softer edge somewhere set it up so that there's less contrast in that area and you're going to it's going to require softer edges or or looser you know whatever the other but there's more than one way to do this and so there are no rules right right so right it's it's you problem solving um in from what i have done first of all i don't care if i have hard edges some obscure part of the painting i don't have just hard edges on the focal point so that's a rule that i don't adhere to um 
And then secondly, you there's other ways of creating kind of a hierarchy. Um, you can, I think everyone just thinks of edges as the way to do that. Some maybe would do that with, with color and you could. Um, you could also do, do that with um, uh, just sort of the, the level or degree of, of finish. <clears throat> um, I can have a kind of contrasty, harder edge, but fewer brush strokes mm -hmm. if it's near the fringes of the, you know, the painting. Um, and then, a, you know, much more uh, kind of intentional, or I mean, it's all intentional, but just a more finished uh, area where my focal point is. You know what I mean? It's more painted, more or less painted. Um, thicker or thinner paint. You know, there's all kinds of ways of creating a hierarchy in order to maintain, to, to make and maintain a focal area. Okay. And for some reason, most people, and I would say amateur people or amateur artists are the ones that heavily rely on just softening everything that they don't want to be the focal point and making their, their focal area the most crisp. Okay, so what I'm hearing then is that you're doing this in almost entirely perceptually and not principle-based. It's like, yes. I, I'm looking, I'm squinting, I'm comparing. This is what I see when I squint, when these little pink flowers are kind of in the halftone area, they tend to blend into the shadows when I'm squinting. Yeah. Right. And right. when I get that crisp, when I get that crisp shadowed petal next to the light, pedal I, I even squinting I see a hard edge so it's absolutely perceptual yes and and I allow you know I'll break an edge even if if I want to create a looser quality of painting you know <clears throat> I might adopt a, something for in order to to achieve a certain look but I'm still I'm still starting with what am I actually seeing I'm you know I, I'm I'm asking myself that question while I'm looking at it. What's happening? What am I seeing? Um, it, so, yeah, I guess it's it's mostly or entirely perception based. Yeah. So I was I was painting. I, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. I was painting a landscape recently, and I know a landscape is different. So maybe you'll have a different perspective on this. But and uh, an artist who I respect came up to me. I asked his opinion. And he said, you need a hard edge up front in this lower, lower left quadrant in order to add interest. And I thought he wasn't, I don't, he's not wrong. As you said, um, art is a lot more than a dogmatic set of principles, right? There's a lot more to it. So mm -hmm. it's not whether he's right or wrong. My question is, what are your thoughts on that? Does one ever need to apply a hard edge simply for design's sake? Or even in landscape, would you be completely perceptual and say, no, I don't see enough contrast there, no hard it's edge. It's going to, it, okay, it's going to look like a glitch in the system. If you have established, uh, if there's a underlying um, principle in your painting for what determines the edges, the edge quality, if everywhere else in the painting you have made those decisions based on observation mm -hmm. and then suddenly you break that because you simply wanted 
something there that wasn't there. In this case, an edge. It's going to look awkward. So it's like rattling off a paragraph in English and dropping in a word in French. To, and it's like, what, what did you yeah, just say? It's just going to, it's going to look like a glitch in the system because right. you have without knowing it or un, unknowingly, you have established the laws that govern this little world you've created. And then you suddenly break that law. It's like someone floating down the street. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So, so, now you could if you're experienced enough like let's say with landscape painting you think well that what's happening there is not creating the edge that i would like to have for design's sake what would it have to be in order for me to get that edge i like that oh so you could you know that's why that's why i say there's 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 no rules but there are there are physical laws that govern the universe. Right. So the way that the human eye and mind works within this, this dimension that we're, we're in, you can see more information in this kind of light. You see less information in the shadows. So you put a hard, really crisp, discernible edge in an area that you shouldn't be able to see that much detail in mm -hmm. um, it's going to look off. So what would you have to adjust? What would have to change in order for you to get that thing that you, you want for design's sake? So it's just, it's a more, um, I would say that this is just a, a, a more um, thoughtful approach that okay. instead of just sort of um, like, Oh, I just want it this way. And that, well, that's fine. Unless you're going for realism. You know. <laughs> I know you didn't mean that as a jab, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> well, it's no, fine I'm unless just, you want I'm, to be a painter. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I'm saying. No, I know if, you didn't mean it that way. If you're going, it's not going to look like real life. Right, and you right, can right, right. Tell people, and people make up all kinds of fluffy um, sayings and and reasons and and things, but really, um, they're they're painting. Um, they're painting the way that a camera sees. Um, I see so many of them. They're they're not really truly analyzing what's in front of them and and trying to to paint real life as loose or as tightly as they want. You know, regardless of of the style. But you know, um, they're mm -hmm. sort of moving away from from real life. That's brilliant. I appreciate that insight. All right, I want to look at the bigger version of this. I assume on Instagram you have the full painting on here. Am I wrong? No, I don't think so. And oh, that bummer. Was, that's just that small. Um, I mean, it's not a very big painting. I want um, to, let's pull up something more involved. Oh, that's a pastel. Oh, dude, you kind of make me sick a little bit, Daniel. That's so good. Why? Because it's so good. I'm envious. Yeah, well, it's just gorgeous. To, like have someone pull up your pull up your work and, and all that I do in my mind is I think, oh God, I just want to pick it all apart. Here. Yeah, we're all like, that way. Like, wow. No, it's just yeah. just beautiful. Just beautiful. And so I'm thinking about the conversation we just had. 
And it makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. You know, like all this stuff is so close in value in the background. If you squint at it, yeah, you're yeah. not. It's And then you got this high contrast stuff where you really push the edges nice and crisp. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Well, and the other thing that that people do, I mean, that I run into, because, you know, I teach it all the time uh, in workshops. And um, the longer, and Richard talks about this in his book, I, I, I remember remember reading it in some part of his book how the longer you stare into you know let's say a shadow area the more your your pupils are going to to dilate so that they can take in more information so it's going to miss people are misreading i think um uh what's in front of them and they think well i can see the edge of that or i can well yes but you're not just painting that one little section you're painting this larger scene so you need to see what it looks like all at once right and squinting helps you do that mm-hmm. you're 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 seeing um you're not just making it all out of focus you're seeing the way that these various objects these various shapes of color or whatever it is interact with each other what they look like while existing next to each other and so it just makes logical sense to me. Um, I mean, all of this, it, at least in my head that I've shared thus far, it seems like a logical approach. It seems logical to perfectly. Think, yeah, you you would see less information where there's less light. You know, it just there's a. It's not a. Um, it's not based on feeling or some kind of an emotional experience. I'm not an emotional person i'm i'm pretty i'm fairly logical i'd say yeah no it makes perfect sense it seems very logical and it's actually sort of empowering that while it's not easy conceptually you've made it very simple yeah right i mean it's obviously hard to execute difficult to execute but but simple in concept i think it's sometimes easy to get intimidated by painting and when you think of all the principles involved and you're almost just stripping that all away and saying just look just squint and compare squint and compare squint and compare act of actually painting it you know i mean i get into debates with it but only with emotional people you know as far as if if there's a debate that ensues because um they want to sort of hold on to they believe that it's a purely emotional experience. And I believe that um, the act of actually doing it, the the work that you put in is there's no emotion in it at, at all. It's all it's 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 just problem solving, which is applying logic um, to this. So it is simple. And I think people fill their heads with all of this other stuff and then try to take that into their painting. And it it. Um, you know, it makes it harder probably than, than it is. You know, I have a theory about that and I could be totally wrong. I'm probably wrong about many of my theories, but I bet if we, we probably all are. Yeah. I bet if we could dig up all the great masters before media, before we had access to all these ideas, and I'm talking about even, even the old school media, television and newspapers, um, before art historians started defining how an artist is, or, or sort of uh, shaping an artist's personality for future artists, right. 
that that all the great artists were very intellectual about in their approach mm -hmm. and only now mm -hmm. are artists raised to believe that art is sort of this frou-frou emotional thing and not a craft mm -hmm. you with me on that yeah it looks oh, like yeah. you no, are i er, early on in those early in those early years i'm so glad i didn't get into any art school or even a just a mainstream university uh i i almost went and then i found out if i went to like the state university or something i'd have to take two years of general ed and i didn't want to waste any time on anything that would keep me from painting i thought i just want to dive into it completely i'm so glad i did because i i feel like i would have um not discovered what i what i had so early on and i noticed when i did start to meet other artists particularly those that are at the top of still at the top of our field they they also happened to be the smartest people i had ever interacted i agree with. and so i made that that connection pretty quickly i'm not saying you have to be super intelligent i mean we all have our our various various strengths or weaknesses but it just seemed like they were the most logical. They were the most pragmatic um, kinds of, of thinkers. And um, and they thought for themselves, you know, they, they weren't spouting off what someone else had said all the time. They weren't um, reciting whatever the rules were. They were just sort of problem solving. And then maybe they'd verbalize it to you and, um, yeah, I think um, I think people are over. There's there's so much out there. They're just inundated with information, and not all of it is relevant. Not all of it is right. Um, and there's just a lot of fluff. And then you get people who aren't even artists who they're these self-proclaimed authorities on it. They're known as critics, and all they are is an over-educated, overpaid, you know, con artist who's convinced everyone that they are an authority on, on art. And then they describe what the artist was thinking. I yeah. always love that. So, and, or what the artist felt as if they knew, you know, um, and I think it's really polluted uh, a lot of the, the thinking. And unfortunately, not just for the masses, but for the artists themselves. Yeah, artists, young artists are trying to shape themselves into these sort of fantasy artists that have been created yeah. by the by the historians. Yeah, I that's how I yeah. feel. Um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, you know, we had talked about the Porch Society earlier. That's the thing I noticed when I went to the Porch Society for the first time. Like, oh my gosh, these guys and women are all brilliant. Mm -hmm. Some of the smartest people I've ever met are yeah. um these great painters are um yeah uh, all right let me look at let's look at a few more of your pieces what about an oil painting so that one is an oil i mean it's kind of hard to a photo taken with my cell phone but right an oil done from life and then um if you go i think up a couple of okay i just got to point out how hardcore you are right like, yeah, you've got, I think this is the uh, Strata setup down here. Oh, yeah. But I, I, love, forgot my, uh, I love how you that. forgot your thing and then you just like stuck it between, stuck your panel right in yeah. there. That's brilliant. 
that's, and, that's hardcore. You know, that, that problem happens, solving, but it's really, yeah, well, it's really, it really sucks when that happens when you're in another country. Oh, you forgot it for the whole trip. It's not just in your hotel. Oh yeah. I didn't know oh, no, not that whole trip. I didn't know. Yeah. That blows. <laughs> that yeah. blows. Hey, it worked. It worked. So up, uh, just above it where you are right there, that's a pastel version. No, that's why. No, no, that's it. Or- Sorry, that's the oil version. Up that one. Is this the one pastel is pastel. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's not a good example because well, you can't really see it. So how do you switch back and forth? Which one do you prefer? Or is it just I don't know. You oh, so that's why you can switch back and forth, because it's like you don't have a favorite. Well, not right at this moment because pastel is still newer for me, so I wouldn't be able to probably really decide like oh this is one i i think is my favorite it's still right. new so it's fun. um i think what it is is it's sort of a relief there's even though they're exactly the same principles there's something about you, you i mean you know how it is you you it's the same probably or similar maybe going from oil to charcoal sometimes you just feel like doing something different but really you're doing the same <laughs> no i get it you're yeah. still getting your work done you know you're still being productive you're still doing something to, to add to you know you're not wasting your time but it's just a little different enough that it feels like a relief or it feels fun and so yeah. i just kind of go back back and forth you know so one thing i want to point out for my students sake you know, you may or may not know, but I, I think you do because you were here. I have my atelier here. I've got 12 apprentices. Yeah. And the, yeah, thing, that, the thing that kicks everyone's butt are ellipses. Oh. <laughs> Everyone hates ellipses. Whenever, whenever a student gets into having to draw something with an ellipse or a circle, it's like they all start ripping their hair out. And I, so... I don't know if it's for that reason that I always notice when I see good ellipses in a painting, but that's one thing I've noticed about your paintings is they're, they're always spot on. Well, I'm, I'm glad you think so. I'm glad you clicked on one that I feel was very <laughs> good or, or good enough. Yeah. Um, I still have, I still have days. It's not that I, it's interesting. It's not that I can't see them or I can't paint them. Sometimes there's a visual, Sometimes I have to do it, um, you, you almost have to do it inaccurately to make it look oh, accurate. I know. Because totally. you're dealing with, it, I mean, it's nothing if you're just drawing a line, you know, a, a linear ellipse, that'd be nothing. But you're, you're dealing with this form and it's an optical illusion because you've got shadow and light and then the reverse of it on the outside, shadow and light. Um, plus the color changes and all, all of that. So sometimes it's a perfect ellipse, but it looks off and you have to like, it's awful. I hate, I, I some know, days I, I do, know. I hate. No. But that's why you're getting them right. So and I often say to my students, don't in this case, and in many cases, don't just draw what you see, draw it right. Sure. You know, and I think that's why you're getting them right because you're doing that. But it's the other thing, you can do is have have half of half of it obscured or parts of it obscured with flowers you know 
<laughs> a painter that just has teacups everywhere, but none of the tops are showing. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. funny. Um, so <clears throat> one of the things um, I've always wondered about you and other painters who I admire that are good flower painters, you know, I, to me personally, I got to get him on the podcast as well. I think the two best flower painters that I'm aware of alive today would be you and Michael Klein. And you're very different though, but he's also a brilliant flower painter. Oh, he's yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And I remember he was here at my studio as well once and he, he's very romantic about it. He's, he's talking about the innocence and of the flower and how beautiful it is. And, he, and he's very, you know, it's to hear him talk about it. It's almost like he's going to spout off a poem just ad lib right off about his about his flowers but it's cool because he's clearly passionate about it so i wanted to ask you about that what you clearly are passionate about this subject what is it about the subject that draws you in well um i i i'm not expecting poetry up. so no, it could I, be you're just not shapes. It, yeah. <laughs> first of all, I hate poetry, so <laughs> you're you're definitely not getting any of that. Um, I I bring this up a lot in when I'm trying to help other artists, especially young artists, in what direction you know to to go, um, because you do at some point have to kind of decide what you most want to paint or. You can paint everything, but um, I, 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 I happened to paint the things that I loved before painting was a part of my life. Mm -hmm. So my my earliest memories, and you'll hear this with you know uh, all kinds of other um, artists. I think the ones that are most happy doing the the thing that they love doing, um, they're, they're painting something that they genuinely are fond of. And they just, they, it's almost like an excuse to look at this thing for a long amount of time. You're, you're going to paint it. So my earliest memories are of flowers, plants, just being fascinated with the being in the garden, you know? Mm. And so it's, it's not something that I ever, it's almost like it was an innocent or a pure kind of thing, because it, it's nice that it happens to be a subject that sells really well too. You know, everybody loves uh, flowers. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people do. And, um, but it's, it was really an, an organic kind of thing for me. And so I grow them. I, if I can't be painting, I want to be out in the garden. You know, um, I, I genuinely, love studying them and looking at them and it, it it's not really a painting subject for me it's a it's something that's i'm actually fond of okay so one thing i've always wondered about you though with flowers is they seem like a really hard subject as i said i've never really painted flowers unless it's part of a larger landscape or or a larger <laughs> multi-figure painting and they're always a very small part of it but you've got sure. tables full of flowers and I know you do some of this stuff, if not all of it from life, but at least some of it. Are you painting just really fast or are you putting these things together kind of piecemeal, just a little bit at a time? Uh, well, yes. <laughs> all, all, Both. All of, yeah, all of that, because 
first of all, it is primarily from, from life. Um, the exception is that series of uh, paintings where, you know, there's like kind of a uh, twilight light behind some of those roses where it's really um, ephemeral. But um, otherwise, it's, it's, it's almost entirely uh, from life. But it's also years of working and with and growing these flowers and, and knowing the forms, it, just like someone knows human anatomy. You know, of course, you're painting what you see, but there's also a knowledge behind that. You know what to look for. You know the potential of something. You um, you you know when I say potential, you know that you know the how far you can exaggerate or how how close you have to get something in order for it to look like that thing without it having to be exact. Right. Um, and, and flowers are actually, I'd say they're more, um, more forgiving. When I teach, I always tell everyone that, uh, just to help kind of shake them up, you know, they'll, they'll, you'll hear people, and I'm sure you do all the time where they can paint this and they can't paint that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I can, I can paint landscapes. I just can't paint figures. Well, that means that, you, you probably have some understanding with value and you have no skill where drawing is concerned, you know, mm -hmm. um, or maybe you have some, some understanding of color, but your values are, are really weak. These different subject matters, uh, put a different demand on though a combination of those five elements, drawing, painting, value, color, edges, you know, composition. And so, um, a lot of portrait painters are, I find, are exceptional at drawing and value, and their color maybe is is uh, they're they're maybe less skilled or design color. or yeah, they, but they can get away with it. Is what I'm saying. Right. There's it's it'd be kind of hard to get away with bad design, but um, there's less of a demand put on the thing that they're weaker in. And so when they go to paint flowers, I'd say it puts a very high demand on color. Mm. And so that, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are like, Oh, you know, they're so hard to paint, but they're actually quite forgiving because they don't put a huge demand on drawing. You yeah. can, most people aren't familiar enough with the flowers. Uh, it, I don't know. It's not like a human where you can tell with the eyes, you know, like that person is, that's not right. Mm -hmm. um, there's a smaller margin of error there. And so flowers, they put a really high demand on color. And, and of course, all painting, good, all good painting should have good drawing and value and all, all of those things. But it's just a different kind of ratio. So I actually find them quite forgiving. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I don't think people realize that once you kind of have a general understanding of the the form of that particular species right yeah but i just wanted to point out but you're you clearly don't have an issue with the other skills either because your drawings are absolutely spot on as we've well, seen in these other ones well thank you yeah beautiful. i don't know if they're i don't know if they're spot on but it's in a tent <laughs> all right so my last question for you I'm really curious about because you have a unique uh, background in that you really have no teachers, um, at least prior to you starting your career. So what advice would you give someone who is aspiring to become an artist? 
<clears throat> well, um, there's more than one way, first of all, because there are there are guys at the top that took all different paths. Some of them had mentors, some of them had a formal education, some go to an atelier, some go to a mainstream school, and they still find a way, you know. And so um, my advice is always just to uh, research, see what the options are, and then I don't know if this is <laughs> if this is possible, but it's sort of like how how what can you say to help them avoid some of the the pitfalls because it's easy to get swept up or caught up in what we were talking about earlier, which is someone else's dogma. Right. And, you know, so I would say learn and imitate and do that because it is necessary, but keep in mind that it there's, there's more than one way, you know, um, I think while you're in it, you should devote to it. I don't regret uh, any instance where if I, you know, if, if someone is, I, I tell people this in a workshop all the time, for the time that we're together, I, and I'm the instructor and you're the student, adopt everything I say. You know, just follow everything, even if you have a totally different method. Because then you're, you're, you're taking in information. And then when you go home, decide what you're going to keep, what you're going to throw away or what you might shelf for, for later. So, I don't know, my advice is, um, look into research all the options and see what you think will work best for you and then just take everything with a proverbial grain of salt i appreciate that so i i actually don't usually have a follow-up question but i do in this case do you think that your path could work for anyone or do you think that everyone <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, obviously there are others who it'll work for. I'm saying uh -huh. anyone across the board that your path of checking out a book or saving up for one book and becoming a professional artist, it would work for anyone. No, I, I and I don't, I, I again, uh, you know, sometimes these things are, it's good to say them or to talk about them, but it kind of makes me seem um, pretentious. I would say it's totally the exception and not the rule. And it's not because I'm so smart or I'm so special. It's just the variables that were in play. And, and right. this is how it worked for me. I was home educated. I spent my whole educational years, they, they were spent teaching myself. I mean, even though my, my being home educated, your parents are your teacher, primarily my mother, by the time you're 10, 11 years old, all all my mom was having to do was give me the books and then check the work. Because you get into this mode of of teaching yourself, you're, you're problem solving, and, and it's it was a perfect system for me and my temperament, my personality. So I was already in that mode. So to me, it, it made perfect sense. Oh, I'll just go get the book and I'll read it and I'll, you know, I'll follow along. I'm already in that self-thought way mm -hmm. of thinking. And so one thing after another, and then the whole, the magazine and the cover of the magazine and all that. And when I say that was my 
kind of breakout in every sense of the word it was from that moment on i it's not that i never had to do anything i still had to paint i still had to you know do all all of the things that everybody has to do but i, I never again had to um I didn't have to contact galleries. I don't have to, I, I, everything came out of that. So it's totally, right. it's totally random. You, you can't and shouldn't base any decision on your career path on something like that. That's just a totally random thing. The thing that aspiring artists should do is make priority number one getting better and getting the information necessary to be better and whatever method you take to get that information based on you your temperament your variables where you live what you have access to all of the things that are unique to you um you you just make it a priority to get that information in whatever way you can and for some it's going to be going to an atelier not for everyone right and for some it it would be, you know, finding a mentor or something, someone that you can work with one-on-one, -on -one, but not everyone can do that. Right. right. I mean, what's available to you and um, take advantage of, of whatever those opportunities are. With with Richard, um, we, we met and he had seen my work and I wanted to meet him, of course, because I had been studying his book for three years and now you know he was my teacher from afar and he said uh when when we met we had dinner and he said if you're ever in the area you know his area which would be three thousand miles away from me um he said come paint so I, i'm saying this because i say take advantage of whatever opportunities come your way he said that to a lot of people Michael Klein, actually, and I have talked about this because he, he said the same thing. He says it to people all the time. And so few people kind of not take advantage, but, that you know, they, so few people accept those opportunities. So I went home from that event and um, I bought a plane ticket. I called, I called Richard and, and I said, hey, guess what? I, as it happens, I'm going to be in your area <laughs> next month, you know. And so I, I, I wasn't going to pass up that, that opportunity. So see what's available to you and then don't, don't, don't um, treat those opportunities as invaluable by not, not doing something about them. There's, there's something out there for you and um, you just have to look for it and then take advantage of it when it comes. That's perfect. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, Daniel, it was awesome to talk to you. You're an inspiration to me and a lot of my, a lot of my followers, I'm sure. So thank you very much for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm happy to do it. I hope, I hope some of it is interesting or helps or <laughs> it'll, it's going to be awesome. Entertaining or something. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.